Well, good morning. So we have the opportunity to have VBS starting this week. Are you excited? <laughs> There's more than uh, 168 volunteers, more than 300 kids coming. We get to share the gospel every day. It's going to be an amazing week. This is one of our biggest outreach events that we do at the church. And so tonight, uh, several of the elders are joining together at 7 p.m. here at the church, and we would love to invite any of you to come and pray through the property and through the building, specifically for these 300-plus little kids who are coming to hear the gospel. We want them to know and love Jesus. Amen. And so if you would like to be a part of that, come at 7 o'clock and pray with us. So this morning, I'm going to get right into the message. No Billy Graham jokes for you today, sorry. Um, we've got baptisms to celebrate, so we want to uh, hear the Word of God and then celebrate with these awesome stories. Last week, we discussed Jude and the first four verses. We discussed that we must fight for, we must agonize. We must contend for our faith. We must understand the characteristics of what false teachers look like and then examine ourselves and make sure we are not one of them. We discussed how false teachers are all over and that this isn't a new problem. So as we continue in the book of Jude, in verses 5 through 16, he gives us past examples of false teachers. Jude uses examples like the Israelites and angels and Sodom and Gomorrah, Cain, Balaam, Korah, to show this has existed for a long time. Not only existed, but what the outcome was in each one of those situations. We're not going to be studying those verses today, but I encourage you to spend some time looking at that at home and understanding the context and the comparison. Jude gives those six examples, and then immediately, once again, he changes the tone. In verses 17 through 19, Jude changes the tone by redirecting it back to the believers, the beloved. Verses 17 19 are in parallel form from the last verses and examples. He wanted the reader to see the past and the judgment, and now he wants the reader to remember and learn how to better respond to the false teachers. So in verse 20, Jude starts out with how they can stand firm against false teachers. He starts and uses the word beloved here. He says, but you beloved. What's interesting here is some scholars believe that the word beloved was something that the readers would have heard and had an emotional response to it. The word beloved in that day and age had an undertone of suffering. Contrast that with today's society. Uh, we don't really hear the word beloved that often, right? In fact, where do we most often hear the word beloved in today's society? in obituaries. It's got an undertone of suffering or possibly even death. This word is similar to the Septuagint, that's the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, used in the story of Abraham and the sacrifice of his son, Isaac. The translation says, his beloved son. Sacrifice and suffering are involved in that story. It's also used in the New Testament at the transfiguration when the heavens open up and God's voice is heard calling Jesus his beloved son. Again, sacrifice and suffering are involved. 
The word beloved evoked an emotion to the readers of that time. Maybe Jude was communicating the fact that he understands that the readers may be suffering. So basically, beloved, look for false teachers, spot them out, and now what? Well, Jude gives us four things to do, four specific commands. Up here on the screen, build yourself up in the most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in God's love and wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you into eternal life. So the first requirement is something we also talked about last week, right? You must be actively pursuing God through the Bible, relationships, community, community group, discipleship. You can't fight against false teaching if you can't even decipher when you see it. Building is used as an imagery in the Bible, oftentimes because new covenant believers do not need a literal temple like in the Old Testament. They themselves as new covenant believers are now the place where God resides. The term building or the imagery of building there here is to encourage believers to do life together, to encourage one another for the truth of Scripture and to live it out. Community, iron sharpening iron. Listen to Ephesians 3, 19 to 22. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Imagine building one stone upon the other so upward progress is made. Your faith is a personal faith. It's between you and God, but it's meant to be lived out with others. You've got to live it out with people. You've got to encourage one another. You've got the opportunity to grow with other people in your faith. Build one another up. Be careful here, because I think many times people get confused. The word build is key to the statement, build, encourage, make better. It doesn't say criticize one another. It doesn't say sit around talking about other believers. It doesn't say make fun of those with less knowledge or understanding or experience in the faith. Encourage, build, spur on. Number two is pray in the Holy Spirit. So this is a reminder that if you profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit lives in you. I think many times we overlook that. I'm not sure why or how, but I feel like we do. The Holy Spirit is in us from the moment of our conversion. If we're not praying in the will of God, we are not listening to the Holy Spirit. I read this story recently um, as we were actually talking with our interns and going through a book, and it has to do with the Holy Spirit and some questioning that Mother Teresa got. In the 1980s, Dan Rather interviewed Mother Teresa, and Dan asked Mother Teresa, when you pray, what do you say to God? And she replied, 
I don't say anything. I listen. Okay, so perplexed, Dan Rather then asked, well, when God speaks to you, then what does he say? And Mother Teresa replied, he doesn't say anything. He listens. She went on to say, if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. Praying, listening, being in union with the Holy Spirit in your prayer life, his will, not yours. A practical example of that probably comes from uh, my mom's book called The Intentional Remnant. My mom passed away uh, from pulmonary fibrosis, and when she was just starting to have some of the symptoms of it uh, several years back with her lungs specifically, she was on her way to Georgia to lead a women's retreat, and uh, she got pneumonia, and she could just not shake it. And so the pulmonologist at the time decided that he would order several tests, and all of them seemed extraordinarily dreadful. Things like tubes going down into your lungs while you're fully awake. Ugh, I can't imagine. She worked herself up kind of to an anxiety that she had not felt before or experienced. But she remembered the wonderful truth that Jesus and the Holy Spirit pray for her. So she began asking God, show me how you're already praying. And the answer was clear to her. I'm praying that you will make this problem situation about me and my interests and not focus totally on yourself. So she wasn't quite sure what to do with that. So she she prayed and she read scripture and she was asking the question, how do I do that? What does that look like? And this is what came back to her. This is where she, she landed. You're going to be going into a hospital waiting room and you're going to be encountering a ton of people who are way more afraid than you and may have worse diagnoses than you. I care about them. Pray for them. And then you're going to be called back into a private room where you're going to uh, be potentially with a nurse who may need specific encouragement. My mom could do that. She could encourage that person. And the hardest part, during the hardest part of the uh, tests of herself, give glory to God. She thought, I can do that. In fact, the fateful testing day came, and it was not a burden for her. It had turned into an adventure with peace in her heart and a chance to glorify God. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Gosh, I miss my mom, her insights and her faith. So now we're on number three. It's the third command. Keep yourself in God's love. This one doesn't seem as straightforward, does it? How do we do that? Well, the word keep is an imperative, and basically that's a fancy way of saying it's a command that all the other items come off of that one statement. Last week, we talked about the word keep also. Specifically, we talked about how God keeps us. At the moment of salvation, there is a promise that you will be kept throughout this life and into eternity. Being kept means I am, you are, believers are secure in him. Now later in the chapter, Jude is telling us to keep yourself in God's love. This is not God doing the keeping. This takes action on our parts. How do we do that? Well, it's best to go to Scripture and see what's already written. 
John 14, 15, 21, 23, and 24. Listen to him. 15, if you love me, keep my commands. 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. We contend our faith by keeping his commands, by submitting our lives and our will to biblical teaching and understanding. How amazing that God keeps us And now we must work to keep in his love. Finally, the last one, number four, we must wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you into eternal life. Jude is describing mercy here as something we've got to wait for. As we're called to keep in God's love and live out his commands, we can eagerly wait for eternal life. Jude is saying, yes, false teachers exist. Yes, they're disrupting things. Yes, look out for them. But be ready for the ultimate sign of mercy when Jesus comes back to bring his people to eternity with him. So the four, build yourself up in the most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in God's love and wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you into eternal life. It seems like a pretty straightforward list of how to combat false teaching that's around us, how to spot out false teaching. We talked about that last week. And then how to react and handle. But Jude doesn't end there. See, all of that was first so that you're standing firm yourself. You must do these things so that your faith is grounded, rooted in Jesus. And then we have the opportunity to help rescue others. You can't jump into the water and save someone if you're not prepared or have a personal life preserver with you. People will drag you under. Verse 22 and 23 have and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Essentially, be rooted, be grounded, contend for the faith, and then help others do the same. Dude isn't saying, don't just put up with the world, don't just endure the world and what's going on. He's saying, contend. Go after people. Be a witness in a dying world. Look different. Speak different. Shine Jesus wherever you go. Agonize or contend for the gospel our faith. As believers, this is our calling. Our place as believers is the joy of sharing Jesus with a lost and a dying world. We have the responsibility to work with and for our Savior in showing mercy to those around us. This does not mean shove Jesus down their throats. Bash them over the head with Jesus. It involves the word mercy. 
Mercy is defined as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or to harm. This means showing mercy even to those who don't repent. You know, the ones who are screaming back at you. Look, I know that this can be hard. And one place I think the enemy can really gain ground on us today is we when we just shout our opinions at people, especially without relationship. I'm not saying don't stand up for your convictions, for the commands and the principles of God. The whole first part of this chapter is teaching us just that. Contend for our faith, but we can show mercy, or in this context, help those who doubt. We can do this by being gentle, as in 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 25. 2 Timothy says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. The next part talks about us and us working with God to save others. This is the job of all believers. Not just those with the gift of evangelism. Be ready. Share your faith. Share how God saved you. Don't hide behind inviting people to hear someone else tell them about Jesus. Tell them yourself. And finally, show mercy with fear. This could be a reminder to us to stay pure. Don't go thinking that you won't fall into temptation. You're just as able to fall into sin as anyone else. It could also be a warning to show mercy to those who don't repent or who won't repent, to those who hear the good news and the gospel and then they reject it. Either way, show mercy. Be humble. Be kind. Don't scream Jesus at people. Your soul and your heart might want to scream Jesus because you desperately want them to see the truth and be saved and experience the freedom that you have found in Jesus. But Jude is reminding us to be merciful. The truth is, this should excite us. We have the privilege of working hand in hand, side by side with our Creator to show faith, hope, and love to a dying world. When I came to faith, the love of God became more and more real to me over time. When you met Jesus, do you remember that feeling of grace that just swept over you? As you grow in Christ, you realize his love, his grace, his mercy a little more each day. So today, as we close, let me ask you two questions. Number one, are you keeping yourself in God's love? If you're not rooted with Jesus, if you're not intentionally contending for your faith, if you're not pursuing Jesus, Start 
there. Spend time with him. Spend time in God's word. Come to know and understand his love for you. If you're doing that and you're keeping yourself in God's love, then ask this question. Does your life declare Jesus in words and in actions? Do you show mercy to those who doubt or mercy to those who don't yet believe? Do you tell others about being rescued from sin? The book of Jude helps us know there are always plenty of people teaching and saying the wrong things, teaching false doctrine, saying the right things, but having lives that don't match it one ounce. False teachers are everywhere, including the church, especially in the church. Contend for the faith and show mercy and grace to a lost world. Listen to the doxology that's in this book, Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. The ending of this book is so reassuring to believers. Will we make mistakes along the way? Yes. Do I stumble? Yes. Do you stumble? Yes. But the book now closes out pointing us back to God, our Savior, Jesus. At one point in time, you were lost. You were without God. You needed mercy. Maybe he used a believer to share his, his mercy. Maybe he used his word to show grace and to share the love of Jesus with you. Whatever he used, it all points back to an almighty God. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Notice in these last verses, who keeps you from stumbling? Jesus. The work on the cross is preserving you from ruin in the final judgment. Not only is God doing that on your behalf, but he's presenting you as blameless before God. Your sin is forgiven and forgotten. And fathom this, he does so with great joy. You are loved so much that Jesus suffered, died in your place, he rose again, and now with great joy, with tears in his eyes, with celebration all around, you can stand before God and be presented as blameless. Think of that day. Think of that time. If you know, if you love, if you believe, if you surrender to Jesus' lordship in your life, one day you will stand before an almighty God who has open arms for you. Someone who could have very easily taken every thought, action, sin, shortcoming, 
and dangled it over your head. But instead, he will not see the junk in your life. None of the sins of the past, none of the thoughts in your mind, no, he will celebrate your arrival with great joy. Do you know Jesus? I pray you do this morning so that you can experience his love and mercy and the grace of our God. Let's pray. Lord, um, I would be remiss to think that in a room this size, there's not some people who don't know you or who have not placed their faith in Jesus. Just pray for the Holy Spirit in this place this morning. Um, Lord, if there's something going on in their hearts that they would take the opportunity after the service uh, to come find me or another pastor or, or anyone who brought them to ask them about you, Jesus, and to come to faith in you. And Lord, thank you for the book of Jude. Thank you for the fact um, that we get to understand what false teachers look like. We get to know how to uh, deal with them. And then finally, we get to share in the grace and love by sharing the gospel with all those around us. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this moment. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.